Please turn with me in your Bible to the third letter of John. Third John, we're going to be concluding uh, this letter today. Let's go ahead and begin uh, with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your continued kindness to us. We thank you that you have um, given us your word and not left us without hope in this world. Uh, We recognize that you are sovereignly in control of all things and you work things together for your good pleasure uh, so that no one can say to you, why are you doing this or why are you doing that? We pray that you might help us to um, grow in our love for you because of what we read today and that you would give to us grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Gospels, we find a parable told to us by Christ that is about laborers in a vineyard. And you, of course, are familiar with the parable. And Jesus gives this parable to us comparing heaven to the master of a house who goes out in the morning and he seeks to find laborers who will work in his vineyard. And early in the morning, he goes out and he finds some men standing around and he hires them to work in his vineyard. And he works out a a, a verbal contract with them. He agrees with them uh, that he will give them each a denarius for their day's work. And a denarius in that day was uh, about the average uh, day's wage for uh, a laborer. And a little bit later, this master goes out again in the third hour, and he sees some more men who are out there doing nothing. And he goes up to them and he says, whatever is right, I will give you. And so those men go and work in the field. In the same manner, the master of the house goes out in the sixth hour. He goes out in the ninth hour. And he also goes out in the eleventh hour. And each time he goes out, he finds men standing around And he hires them to work in his vineyard. And each time he tells them the same thing, whatever is right, I will give you. And so finally, evening comes and uh, the uh, the day's work is over and the men come to receive their pay. The master of the house calls to his foreman and he tells them to pay all of the workers from their day's work. And he tells the foreman, I want you to start with the last group, those who were hired in the 11th hour. I want you to pay them first and then work your way up to those who were here for the entire day. And so those who were hired in the 11th hour, they stand in line first. And those men who had only worked for one hour, to the surprise and actually temporary uh, delight of everyone else in line, they receive a denarius, even though they had worked for one hour only. And this greatly delighted the men who came there first because you're probably thinking or you would have thought the same thing that they're thinking and that is they're thinking in their minds, he gave them a denarius, they worked one hour, one, two, three, multiply, carry the one, this and that and I'm going to be getting uh, some more money here today. And uh, they were... um, not delighted 
to find out that the master also gave them a denarius, much to their dismay. And we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 20, in verse 11. Now, when they received it, they were grumbling at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? Now, there are all sorts of lessons that we can learn and take away from this parable. We could spend uh, probably uh, a very long time preaching through verse by verse each one of these uh, statements here. Uh, We can learn, for example, how generous God is with his grace. We can learn, for example, that the Lord rescues men from sin and destruction in the 11th hour and brings them into heaven to enjoy all of the benefits of being in Christ for all of eternity. Uh, We can see the great kindness that the Lord has towards uh, his children. But I want to go after something else in this parable that connects with our passage in 3 John today, and that is specifically verse 16. The master, or Jesus says, narrating this story, so the last shall be first and the first last. Um, God delights in making the first last and the last first. Uh, This was drilled into my head as a young child, of course, as you push first in line and your parents say, no, first shall be last and last shall be first. (laughs) And much to your dismay, it got turned around, so now you have to wait all the way through the line. Those who push their way to the first in line find themselves in opposition to God. In fact, James chapter 4 and verse 6 says this, But he gives a greater grace, therefore it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Which brings us to our present text. We looked at 3 John last week, and we will conclude it today. John is writing in the letter of 3 John to a man named Gaius. And he is going to make reference to a specific man in our passage today uh, by the name of Diotrephes. And this man, uh, in the words of verse 9, loves to be first. And that really is kind of uh, the the heart of the passage today. And so let's read this together. Uh, Because it is short enough, we are going to read the entire letter, uh, even though we're just focusing on verses 9 through 15 today. 
The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brothers came and bore witness to your truth, that is, how you are walking in truth. I have no greater joy than this than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, you are acting faithfully in whatever work you do for the brothers and are doing this though they are strangers and they bore witness to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. For they went out for the sake of the name, receiving nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support such men so that we may be fellow workers with the truth. I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not welcome what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will bring to remembrance his deeds, which he does, unjustly disparaging us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not welcome the brothers either, and he forbids those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good witness from everyone and from the truth itself. And we add our witness, and you know that our witness is true. I had many things to write to you, but I am not willing to write them to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. In verse 9, we learn about a man by the name of Diotrephes. And this verse says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not welcome what we say. Now, whereas the first half of the letter of 3 John was John encouraging his friend Gaius for his Christian hospitality, the second half focuses mainly on this man, Diotrephes, and his opposition to the truth. Now, the exact scenario and all the details of what was going on here is um, lost to us. Uh, We don't know exactly what was going on. Uh, For example, there's some discussion about whether Gaius and Diotrephes were part of the same church or whether they were part of maybe some sister churches and all this kind of stuff. And we don't know all those kinds of details. What we do know is that Diotrephes was opposing the Apostle John and his instruction, and that he was not showing hospitality to these Christian ministers that John had earlier in the letter complimented and encouraged Gaius that he was doing the right thing uh, in supporting these men. And Diotrephes actually went far enough to say or or, or to act on this so that anyone in his church who showed hospitality to these Christian ministers, Diotrephes excommunicated from the church. I mean, he was on a mission. He opposed John. He opposed these ministers. He was kind of uh, wanting to run the show. And anyone who got in his way, he would put out of the church and just kind of declare uh, the fact that he was you know, in charge here, and he was running the show. And so John references to Gaius in verse 9 that he wrote something to the church, 
And this letter was rejected by Diotrephes. You see that in verse 9 there. I wrote something to the church. Uh, This is a lost letter that we don't have. There are some people who speculate that perhaps it could have been 2 John, but it just does not seem to fit any of the criteria for what the content of the letter would have been. Um, so it's, it's most likely that this letter is lost to history. Some speculate that Diotrephes actually got the letter and then withheld it from people in the church. Something along those lines could have happened, but again, we don't know. Uh, in, in any event, John writes to the church. This letter is not welcomed by Diotrephes, who is described as a man who loves to be first among them. And you look at this, and you read this passage, and, and, and you realize that if your life is going to be um, immortalized for generations of people to, to know you uh, and to remember you for something, um, you realize that this is the absolute worst thing you could be remembered for. I mean, Diotrephes stands here in the letter of 3 John, cemented in place for millions upon millions upon millions of people and generations upon generations upon generations of people to read his name and see that he is remembered as the man who wanted to be first in life, as the man who would put out anyone who uh, opposes him. Uh, This is uh, very similar to uh, the way that other people are memorialized in Scripture, you think of perhaps Lot's wife, who is known for looking back on Sodom and Gomorrah as it burned and turned to a pillar of salt. You see the man uh, Demas. Uh, these men and women uh, and many more uh, in like fashion stand here in Scripture as warnings, as signposts to say, don't be like this person. And this stands as a warning to all of us, Uh, but I will say just a brief word to the children here, because I know, I kind of remember a little bit what it was like to be a child, okay? And I know that it is very tempting for children And all of us as adults, we sometimes have the same problem, but just control it better. To want to be first in everything. First to eat, first to get the ice cream, first in line for the ride, first in line for all of these things, right? You guys know, we pushed through. I'm willing to push through and knock down my siblings in order to get to, this is worth that much to me. It is worth hurting you. And stepping over you, sometimes literally, (laughs) in order to get to be first in line. This man here in 3 John is a reminder to all of us, to adults and to children, that this is foolishness. It's foolish. It is, in fact, immoral behavior to seek to be first. Scripture reminds us repeatedly to let others go first, to serve others before yourself, to look to the well-being of others before you look to your own well-being. Parents understand this. 
uh, hopefully through your own experience, but at least theoretically, we all understand the fact that I've got to make sure that my kids have something to eat. I've got to make sure that they have a warm place to stay. I've got to make sure that all of these things take place. Jesus told us in Matthew verse tw- or chapter 20, 26 through 28, whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Likewise, we're told in Philippians chapter 2 to think of others before we think of ourselves. Philippians 2 in verse 3, doing nothing from selfish ambition, which is what Diotrephes was doing, working from selfish ambition, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vain glory, but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves. All those who love to be first have diatrophies as your father. And if that is you, then you are a fool. Now just keep in mind here that when the Bible uses the word fool, that is not a childish form of name calling, okay? Fool actually means something. If you read through the book of Proverbs, for example, you see the fool highlighted again and again and again and again and again. And the fool or the foolish person is someone who has seen truth and has seen wisdom and rejects it. If that is you, then you are a fool because you have rejected what God has said is wise. And what God has said is wise is for you to set and to put others before yourself and not to be like diatrophies. Um, And so as believers, we are called in this text and other passages to put off the quote-unquote spirit of diatrophies, to put off the spirit of selfish ambition, of wanting to be first and being greedy for power. Likewise, remember that diatrophies sought to exercise lordship over the human conscience. I mean, he wanted to be lord over this little community. Barnes says about this, proud and ambitious men have sought dominion over the conscience. And that's what he wanted to do, and that's what many people want to do today, is they want to be lord over the consciences of other people so that they can have the power and the authority. If he could control their consciences, he could control them, and this whole story, this whole letter of Third John, uh, particularly the second half, shows us just how much damage one person can do in a church. Okay? Church problems, uh, they're not unique to the 21st century. Okay? We don't even get out of the pages of the New Testament and there are church problems. Okay? And that is what In fact, many of these letters in the New Testament are written specifically to address problems, problems of behavior, problems of doctrine, and all these kinds of things. They're right there uh, in in the very beginning, from the start. And so we would be wise to read these and and, and heed to uh, what what it says here. So what happens in this letter now is that John, remember he's writing to Gaius, And he tells Gaius what he's going to do about this problem. In verse 10, he says, For this reason, if I come, I will bring to remembrance his deeds which he does. 
unjustly disparaging us with wicked words. And not satisfied with this, he himself does not welcome the brothers either. And he forbids those who want to do, who want to do so and puts them out of the church. He excommunicates them. Now, what I really appreciate here about John is how he is not afraid of confrontation or conflict. He just goes right to the source of the problem. Uh, now, I will say here as a side note, we don't love confrontation for the sake of confrontation, okay? That's not to be our spirit or our attitude. Uh, we're not to delight in or seek to stir up trouble. At the same time, we don't run away from it. Okay? And that's what John is putting on display for us here, is the spirit of there's a conflict here, there's confrontation going on, there is a problem, and it is very tempting, of course, in our day, I think even more so than throughout history, it's very tempting to just want to, quote-unquote, keep the peace and just let the status quo be the status quo and just continue on as things have always been. And John actually shows us the model of the opposite of that. He doesn't go out stirring up trouble. John is not stirring the pot here. Uh, but he's also not running away from it. John says then, assuming that he can make it to the church, because he might not be able to make the journey, but assuming he can make it to the church, he says that he will bring to remembrance his deeds, which he does. Okay? Writing a letter, and he's saying, if I can come there, I am going to bring this up, just so you all know. Okay, I'm not going to play the game. We're not going to pretend this or pretend that. Uh, he's not going to be quiet. Uh, he is... He's going to make a scene, but actually it's the scene that Diotrephes made, and he's just coming to deal with it. And John also uh, here is going to note some specifics of what Diotrephes is doing. Uh, if you look at verse 10 there, you'll see that he is unjustly disparaging us with wicked words. Uh, the ESV says that he is talking wicked nonsense. The CSB, Christian Standard Bible, says he is slandering us with malicious words. The NASB says that he is unjustly accusing us with wicked words. The NIV says that he is spreading malicious nonsense about us. Okay? Kind of get the idea here. He was a malicious gossip. And a false one at that. He wasn't even spreading true things. <laughs> he was spreading rumors and false things. The idea behind this word in the Greek of talking wicked nonsense is that the person is speaking words that are senseless, okay? Um, this, this word can actually also mean to babble incoherently, okay? He's not even making sense in what he's saying. He's just spewing out all of these words, and so the idea here is that he isn't even making logical sense in his accusations. And here we are 2,000 years later, thousands of technological advancements later, and people still can't make sense when they talk. <laughs> there is no desire to be rational or logical or understandable. People today just emote. Okay, you just 
vomit your emotions, okay? It doesn't matter whether what you are saying is true or false. All that matters is how it makes me feel, okay? So we see this a lot in every sector of society, but specifically in the church, we see um, so-called ministers of the gospel who will say, you know, the message of the gospel, I believe it's true, but it doesn't make people feel good. And so let's just make a few minor adjustments here and some adjustments there and alter it here and alter it there and change it and change this and change that. Um, we're supposed to love the truth. We're supposed to speak the truth. Of course, Ephesians 4, we're supposed to speak the truth in love, okay? But we are to speak the truth nevertheless. People today... Uh, just express their emotions. Schools today, for example, do not teach logic or rhetoric or debate anymore. I think that schools should return to that. I agree with Diggory, who, narrated to us by C.S. Lewis, said, bless me, what do they teach them at these schools? What is going on out there? All those who babble incoherently have Diotrephes as their father. And Diotrephes has many children in the world today. Many children. But this is not all that he does. Diotrephes is known uh, for talking wicked nonsense, for babbling incoherently, for not being logical or caring about truth. But note again verse 10 about halfway through, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not welcome the brothers either. And he forbids those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. So Diotrephes is talking wicked nonsense. He's babbling incoherently. And he's also refusing to show Christian hospitality to the traveling ministers. And if anyone in the church wants to show them hospitality, he puts them out of the church. He excommunicates them. I mean, this guy has a, 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 a one-man show going on here. I mean, this is all about diatrophies, okay? And he is just, you know, like a bull in a china shop saying, I'm the one in charge here. He wants to be first. He wants the notoriety. He wants the fame. He wants people to say, look at diatrophies. Look at who he is. And anyone who gets in his way, he puts out and puts out and he just silences the opposition he doesn't have the truth to be able to deal with the opposition faithfully, and so he simply shuts them up. One commentator says that Diotrephes has, his, has had his followers throughout the history of the church, and the species is by no means extinct today. And that is true enough. More men today follow in his footsteps than we can count Diotrephes is alive and well across our nation and our world. And therefore, we must be careful as we read this letter here to, to take the warning. We, we have to be careful not to follow after Diotrephes. We have to make a conscious decision to go in a different direction lest we make shipwreck of our own lives. And that is exactly what John tells us to do. He actually takes advantage um, 
The, uh, I, I heard someone say uh, a number of years ago that um, you, you look at uh, the sluggard's field in the book of Proverbs, right? And how the walls are broken down and weeds are growing up. And uh, this guy said that the only one who ever, har- who ever gleaned a harvest from the sluggard's field was Solomon. Um, because the harvest that he gleaned from that field was a warning to all of us to not be like that, okay? And John is doing something similar here. He's, he's holding up Diotrephes as an example. And there is something, of course, the Lord takes sin and can use it for his glory, obviously. And the Lord does that here. He takes the sin of Diotrephes and he holds it up as an example to all of us. And the good that comes out of this by God's sovereignty is the example for us not to follow in like manner. Not to make shipwreck of our own lives. And so John does exactly that. He says in verse 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, a.k.a. Diotrephes, <laughs> but what is good. The one who does good is of God. The one who does evil has not seen God. John upholds Diotrephes as a negative example, and he says, in light of everything that he's just said about him, do not imitate this man. Okay? Take what he's done and learn a lesson from it. Okay? Sometimes younger siblings do this with their older siblings, right? The older sibling is the one who leads the gang into trouble. He gets or she gets in trouble from mom and dad, and the younger sibling says, I'm not going to do that, (laughs) right? You learn from their example. You learn from their negative example, and that's exactly what's going on here. Learn from the example of diatrophies. Those who do that, uh, those who do evil, what does the verse say about them? They've not seen God. This kind of is a little bit of a throwback to 1 John, right? Where he's talking about evidences of our salvation. Those who do that which is evil have not seen God. They testify by their evil, unrepentant actions that they are unbelievers. At the same time, what John upholds for us is that the corollary or the opposite is true. Um, He says we are to imitate that which is good. And then he says the one who does good is what? Is of God. Okay. Now just keep in mind, we we just recently preached through the entire letter of 1 John. Okay. So what John is telling us is not that those who do good have earned their place with God. Rather, he's talking to us about results or the effect of salvation, okay? We do good not as a way to say, God, will you be favorable toward me now? Will you let me into your kingdom now that I've done all these good things? We do good as a response to what the Lord has done for us and by his enablement. We could not do good before And now we are enabled to do that. And so when you look out at the landscape 
you can say this is an obvious fruit of someone who is genuinely a believer in Christ. Um, and just like he had a practical illustration of what it looks like to do evil, he happens to have in his back pocket an illustration of what it looks like to do good. He says, here's Diotrephes, he's evil, don't imitate him. By the way, imitate what's good. And oh, I happen to have an example ready to go of someone that I want you to imitate. Okay, And so if Diotrephes is an example of the evil man, Demetrius is the example of the man to follow after in verse 12. He says, Demetrius has received a good witness from everyone and from the truth itself, and we add our witness, and you know that our witness is true. We have no idea who Demetrius is. Okay. There is one other Demetrius mentioned in the New Testament. Does anyone know who that Demetrius is? what? Yeah, Demetrius the silversmith, okay? Demetrius the silversmith, who was an idol maker in Acts 19, and obviously an unbeliever. He was part of the group that was threatened by the preaching of the gospel. Look, our trade is going to be undone if these guys continue going on like this, okay? Uh, We have no way of knowing if it's the same man. If it is the same man, then obviously it's a testimony to the Lord's grace about transforming an idol maker, a worshiper of false gods, into uh, a believing man who is spoken well of in here. But all of that is speculation, and and we have no idea to know if they're the same or not. Um, In any event, here's what 3 John 9 through 15 is saying. If I could sum it up in a statement. Don't be like Diotrephes, be like Demetrius, okay? Follow him, okay? Demetrius received a good witness from everyone, he says here, and even a good witness from what? The truth itself. Now, this is a little bit of an odd saying, and there's been a little bit of discussion about it, uh, because John seems to be personifying the truth. The the truth itself, Uh, I had a conversation with truth itself over here, and, and truth itself told me that he's a good man, kind of a thing, and what exactly is, is going on here. And it, it's probably just best to understand what John is saying as the fact that Demetrius just conformed his life to the truth. If you were to look at the truth, the standard of truth, and you were to look at what Demetrius was doing, it would line up with the truth. He was, he was doing what was true and what was right and what was good. And so the truth testifies even to to this, that he was doing what is good. And so therefore we are called to go and do likewise. Do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Finally, John concludes the letter. He says, I had many things to write to you, but I am not willing to write them to you with pen and ink, but I hope to see you shortly and we will speak face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. So this is, again, uh, what we talked about in Second John. Um, John follows the uh, letter 
conventions of the day. He has the greeting and the body and the conclusion and the, the wishing of peace and all of this kind of thing going on. Um, and uh, so he concludes this the same way that he concludes Second John. He emphasizes uh, the importance of face-to-face -face communication. He could write more, but it's just better to do this in person. You may remember last time, I think this was two weeks ago now, I kind of uh, drew out a little bit of this in Second John as to the importance of that in our own day. If there is any day and there any age where we could live our entire lives avoiding face-to-face -face interaction and fellowship, today is that day. Um, you can literally hide yourself in your house and order everything and work from home and never open your front door, except to get the packages from Amazon, okay? <laughs> But you can really hold yourself up in your, in your house, okay? Um, and one of the things that's important uh, in Scripture and in here is in-person fellowship with one another, face-to-face. -face. Um, we can use the tools that God has given to us to communicate. Those are wonderful gifts, but we're not to abuse them and distort them. We're to use them uh, in, in good ways and to encourage uh, this. We're not to isolate ourselves. Um, we are to look for uh, in-person interaction. So that's, that's what John emphasizes here. Finally, he wishes for peace to his friend, and he asks Gaius to greet the friends by name. That's it. Short letter. Not much to it. So let's... Um, talk a little bit about uh, what we do with this letter. And I want to give some applications here, and I'm actually going to draw a little bit from the letter as a whole. So a couple of these first applications are going to be from last week. Um, but just remember, broadly speaking, what is third, what's going on in 3 John? John is writing this letter to a man, a friend of his, that he knows, a Christian man named Gaius. He was addressing the exact same topic as he addressed in 2 John, except from a different angle, okay? Whereas in 2 John, he warned the lady, church or individual, not to show hospitality to false teachers. In 3 John, he writes to encourage Gaius to continue showing hospitality to genuine Christian ministers of the gospel, Okay? And so 2 John and 3 John taken together give to us the, the, the big picture of Christian hospitality. And we said it's very similar to what we might see today as a statement of affirmations and denials. We affirm that you should show Christian hospitality to these people. We deny that you should show Christian, Christian hospitality to people who are peddling a false gospel and therefore subsidizing and helping them to spread that false gospel. And so John kind of gives to us the full range in both of these letters. Then what he does is he switches gears to warn against a man who was opposing these good teachers. This was a man named Diotrephes. And John says that the next time he's in town, he plans on dealing directly with this problem in the church. And so in light of this, I have uh, the following applications. Um, I guess there's seven of them here, so I'm sorry. But 
I was just jotting down everything I could pull out of this letter. This one goes back to the early part. This is a reminder of the the letter as a whole. From verse 2, pray for both the temporal and eternal good of your friends, neighbors, family, and community. John remarked that he was concerned both with good physical health and spiritual health. Okay? This is not a plug for the prosperity gospel at all. We can, because we care about people, pray for their physical health, and we ought to do that. Last week we said that we always hold these things uh, with, with the words that Christ has said, your will be done. Okay? But we can encourage this. So that comes from verse 2. Be generous in your hospitality. That's what the letter is about. Give while expecting nothing in return. Open your home to others. Invest in people for the sake of the kingdom. Okay? Practice Christian hospitality with one another. Have people into your home. Take people out in town. Do all these kinds of things. Fellowship with one another face to face. Okay? Support those who are doing the work of the ministry. Don't force them to rely on the Gentiles. Give generously to missions. Pray for fruit in pagan lands. Likewise, don't seek out unbelievers for ministry support. The Lord will provide for his children or for his church and his children. By the way, I was thinking of this as I was working through this. Um, Paul, keep in mind that Paul was a tent maker, okay? And he would have sold tents to unbelievers, okay? Um, I don't think John is telling us that we can't have any kind of financial transaction with an unbeliever. Specifically, what Third John is talking about is that we are not, as a church or as a ministry, to seek out support from unbelievers. If an unbeliever comes in here and throws money in there, then that's, you know... I don't know. We plundered the Egyptians, I guess. But <laughs> we, we can, we're not called to seek out this stuff, but um, we can have transactions. I don't, I don't think Third John is a diatribe against um, doing transactions with unbelievers, okay? Um, so that's just a little side note there. The next one is um, deal with conflict. sake, but don't be afraid to deal with it either. Confront those who cause trouble in the church, okay? John, just he's making a beeline to the problem. He's not beating around the bush. He's not like, I, I, well, I don't want to offend Diotrephes, okay? He's not worried about offending anybody here, okay? He's just like, problem identified, here's the solution, we're going to go for it kind of a thing, okay? Um, so it's a call for us to do the same. Uh, guard yourself from selfish ambition, like Diotrephes. Remember that God says the last shall be first and the first last. Don't seek to be first. Let others go before you. Serve others. Care for the needs of others. Don't trample over other people. Next is put off slander, gossip, and incoherent babbling. Don't emote. Rather, respond to situations logically and according to the truth. Again, uh, you know I've said this before, but I'm not saying that emotions are bad. Emotions are wonderful, and it's a gift by God, and I hope that all of us have good healthy emotions, okay? Uh, but emotions, um, they, they make really good passengers, but they make really bad drivers, okay? And so we're just supposed to drive and to lead according to uh, the truth. And so when it's in its proper place, then it's a wonderful blessing and gift from God, okay? Final, finally, uh, find godly role models and imitate them. 
Do not imitate those who are evil. Remember 1 Corinthians 15.33 that says bad company ruins good morals. Do not imitate, brothers, what is evil, but imitate what is good. Thank you, God, for your grace to us and for today. Thank you for the example of uh, Diotrephes and Demetrius given to us in this letter of 3 John. We pray that you might help us not to imitate what is evil, but to imitate what is good. Ultimately, this example comes to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that um, Paul even remarked that we are to follow him as he follows Christ, meaning that we don't put up these men as ultimate examples, um, but simply in the ways that they have uh, conformed their lives to Christ's likeness, we are to imitate that. And so I pray that we would do that that we would look to Christ, that we would ultimately seek to conform our lives to him, to the standards that you have given to us in Scripture, knowing that they are good standards, that they are good uh, for us, and that they bring great joy into our lives as well. So help us to go, help us to conform our lives to the truth, help us to grow in our love for you and for your word, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.